Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 37. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 37. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. We had a little discussion this morning, and I'm, I've been, I guess, kind of psyched up about the fact that over the last, what, two and a half weeks, I've had some really important insights into what I'm doing, like what my focus is, why I'm doing it, and uh, where I'm hoping to get with it. And that has been really, um, you know, I think anytime you get clarity on some some really baseline stuff like that, it just really helps you to uh, to focus and to, it makes everything that you're doing clear. So this is like focuses on a personal level or your beliefs or your career? I, I, think, I think my beliefs, no, my beliefs, where I'm coming from in this podcast, you know, what I'm aiming for. And like, for instance, you know, when we start reading a new book and I can tell that I'm, um, I'm a little bit jumpy, I'm a little bit more edgy, you know, with the content. And then as we, as we, as we go on with the book and I sort of settle into that and I'm, I'm just, I'm just getting some insights into why that is, you know, how, how it is that I work. Um, and and then it's just in terms of what I'm wanting to do when I'm engaging with a book or when we're, we're talking about a subject, you know, um, in other words, I'm not looking to simply be critical. I'm, I'm looking to um, really focus in on, on two things that um, uh, I believe are, are, are very key. Um, one is this kind of right relationship between love and truth. You know, and that this might be the overarching one. I don't know. I'm still working at bringing these two together and kind of formulating this. But this idea. I don't think that, that one would surprise anyone. No. <laughs> We, I think you bring it to every episode. <laughs> well, I do. You know, it's this baseline orientation. In other words, I'm not trying to do anything fancy. I'm not trying to boggle minds or sound smart. Or it's like this. You just is, do that naturally. Well, hopefully, hopefully, I'm not boggling anybody. And if I'm sounding smart, then I don't know. Hopefully, I sound. I'd, I'd rather sound convincing or believable or. Yeah, like on target, I guess, is what I'd like to be. Um, but no, it's that, that whole thing that it's funny because, you know, in our just, our, just our last recent discussion, the whole idea of, of you know, if you've, if, you've, if you've been steeped in, in a certain way of understanding Christianity and you're hearing us and you mentioned, you know, you've mentioned Wayne Jacobson a lot and you're, you're sort of getting this, this, this new perspective, um, a big part of, of, of that really is it's it's not it's not getting like oh like everything's wrong with the old perspective and and everything is is off and and we've got to you know we rework everything and it's very complex and blah i don't really think so i think i think what it is is there are some key components that have been misformulated and mispresented and misembraced and so it's coming back to that again and again and again it reminds me of doing my martial art i remember this every single time you know, I'd be there working with my, my, my classmate, you know, and I'd be applying the technique to him and he'd be applying the technique to me. And invariably one of us would call the sensei over and be like, sensei, like, mm, you know, 
it's sort of like the guy on the bottom, the guy who's being held or having the technique. He's like, he's like allowing you to do it. But if you, if you said to the guy on the bottom, listen, really struggle, get out of that. You know, at least 50% of the time he'd be able to do it. And he says, he's not supposed to be able to do that. In the sense, he would just say, well, tell you what, why don't you think about your hand as the wheels of a clock? Make the smallest possible circle. And then I want you to point your middle finger just this way towards his back. And the guy on the ground screams. You know, because, and, and he's not going to move at all. If you said struggle, he'd be like, no, he's going to rip my arm off. I'm not going to struggle. And it's this, this, these, these fine, you know, it's, it's, it, it is a different understanding, but it's also applying that and, and it's coming back to that whole notion that, you know, like me in my martial arts class, I had to keep asking, what exactly is the fine point here I'm missing? What exactly is the fine tuning I'm missing? See, I see it as almost the opposite. To me, it, to me, it feels like an, overall orientation it's the overall orientation that you take as you're approaching the bible and god and i feel like the more we talk the more i listen to jacobson it's Hmm. like he and and he's pretty overt about it you know he's basically saying i encourage you to instead of reading the bible through the through maybe what you've heard instead of reading the bible through the lens that that God can't stand to look at us because of our sin. And so mm-hmm. he had to send Jesus to die in our place and to cover up that sin so that he can stand to look at us and that he's just kind of this holy, sometimes angry deity that, that has to be satisfied and cannot be marred by imperfection. Mm-hmm. Instead of reading the Bible through that lens, that is very familiar to me, he's encouraging, read the Bible through the lens that says, God totally loves you, wants to have a relationship with you, and be with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, instead of instead of a, a minor adjustment that I hear you making, what I hear him advocating is almost a a change in orientation. Now, maybe it's a very minor shift in orientation from where I'm coming from. It's a, it's a scary change in orientation. It's Hmm. sounds a little scandalous, a little too easy, a little too. (laughs) I love that. A little too easy. Yeah. A little too easy. I mean, knowing God can't be this easy. It can't be this good. Uh, There has to be pain and suffering and hardship and, well, I, uh, I guess toil what and strain and I, I guess what I'm getting at, if I can marry up what you're, what I hear you saying uh, with Wayne and what what I'm what I'm trying to focus on. Um, at the end of the day, in my martial arts class, the only thing that matters is, you know, it's a soft style martial art. It's about restraint and it's about control as opposed to uh, damaging. You're not damaging at all. The person on the ground, when they get up, when you let the, the technique off, you haven't injured them. But it causes a tremendous amount of what we would call it discomfort. We wouldn't even call it, call it pain. You know, and the person will be, um, you know, can be uh, um, forced to comply on the basis of their discomfort. But if you're not, if you haven't got any discomfort going, it's not working. But it doesn't mean that, you know, you're like, you're not sitting on the couch watching the TV. You, you are actually, you're actually there. You're in the dojo. You're applying the technique. You know, you're looking like you're looking like the guy who's trying to make it work. You're acting like the guy who's trying to make it work, and you you're doing all the right things. And I guess this, this is, is the starting subtlety. to sound familiar. <laughs> this is the subtlety. 
that that I am talking about, right? This this is the subtlety. And and on the one hand, I would agree with Wayne Jacobson. Boom. Or your view of Wayne Jacobson. It's like it's like this sonic boom. You know, it's it's huge. It gets everybody's attention. On the other hand, I, I'm not um, insin- uh, yeah, insinuating or implying that, that, that people who are Christians are totally off base, that they're, you know, you're in the wrong building, buddy. You've got to go to the mosque. You've got to, you've got to go to, 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 I don't know, the Buddhist temple. You, you've got to just get out of church altogether, right? I'm not, I'm not implying that. Now, in some cases, I think it might be a very good idea for some people to get out of some churches because I think they're really dysfunctional, and I've been in a few, Right? So I'm I'm happy to advocate that where necessary, but broadly speaking, no. Broadly speaking, it's just like my dojo example. You're in the dojo, you are applying the martial art technique. You are doing your best. You are not goofing around. You are trying to make this work. You see some value in this, and yet you know what? It's not. It's it's really if if you look at it, it's like the guys looking down at, up at you, going, "Uh, yeah, this isn't quite working." No, like, but this this ties. Crap. I think this ties nicely into episode twenty five, which was the question that Anna raises about your views on Kyle Eidelman, and mm-hmm. you know, certainly you wouldn't question that he's a Christian, and that I mean, isn't it possible that he's still doing help? Isn't he? Isn't it possible that he's still contributing useful things to the Christian community? Yeah, does it tie guess, in there? I feel like it kind of does. It kind of does. Um, You're not convinced. That's okay. Well, no, I guess <laughs> I'm apprehensive. I'm apprehensive because okay. when I come back to my dojo example, I'm not sure where Kyle, Kyle's book, not a fan, fits in. So, uh, I guess what I, yeah, it does, it does. And I guess what I responded to Anna was that, um, and maybe this is where I was coming back originally with the beginning uh, of the podcast here is, is what I have found is that as I left Christianity, as I literally, you know, I was a Christian and, and very uh, uh, genuine and sincere and, and uh, you know, rather zealous uh, as, as a young man can be. And um, uh, after seven years of Christianity, I, I left it, maybe eight years, I I can't, what is it? I can't recall. Seven or eight years, depends on how I count it. You know, and I just walked away because my experience of evil, my experience of, you know, abuse, manslaughter is too light a word. I think, I think it falls much closer to murder. Uh, my, my experience of power mongering in the church, you know, literally, uh, and, and spiritual abuse, just, just, you know, just deep abuse and control all pointed to me to say, you know, God does, if God exists, God doesn't give a rip. Surely God could do better, you know, <laughs> and, and people may think that's blasphemous. And I, and I would say, you live with that every day. Nobody, everybody judges God every single day, whether they judge God to do well or judge poorly. And you know that's what? That's interesting. I, so it's okay if you judge him as doing a good job. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but it's Are not okay if me? you say that he did a bad job. That's well, fascinating. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and the problem too is, you know, and I think this is the distinction. This is what gets a lot of Christians up in arms because you have these sort of uh, theological rejoinders or replies that say, oh, you can't judge God. And of course, that's the, you don't have a yardstick big enough to judge God. It's the sort of Job thing. Can Job judge God? Sure, Job can judge God. Can Job, Job, Job judge God? Absolutely. Can I do that? No, I'm not. But I'm not claiming to. 
I don't want to. I don't need to. I don't need to try to do that. For me, in my situation, from what I saw, God was not there. Or if God was there, God was not worth my time and effort because God couldn't do the job of being God half-assed decent. And when you come to that point, you don't have too many options left. If you're going to be honest with yourself and honest with how you view the world, that's a time to say, you know what? I'm packing up shop. I'm leaving the dojo. I am not playing this Christian game anymore because I think it's a game. And that was seven years, seven years of that perspective. Some of that was good. Some of that was bad. Learned a lot of things. You know, but I came back not because I saw an error in my ways, not because somebody said, oh, you forgot about this, not because I made a mistake. I hold to every single thing. I still hold to every single thing I thought and believed during that period, every single thing. But I had not experienced and understood enough of God. I knew an awful lot about the Bible. I'd already been, I'd already spent a year at, at, uh, at a Bible college. Uh, you know, I was fairly uh, uh, disciplined with, you know, Bible reading and things like that. So it's not like I had no clues, no sticks to rub together about who God was. You know, Bible's a book that sits on my shelf or that somebody, I've heard somebody talk about, but I don't really know what it is. It's not like that. But it's about coming back because I'm having new understandings and new experiences of God, particularly where they relate to love, to God loving me, and seeing how that love and the truth interweave and go together and finding that to be absolutely compelling, absolutely alluring in eliciting from me my deep desire to be loved, to be known, to be valued, to be given opportunities to do fantastic things. You know, I consider this podcast to be one of those fantastic things. But... I don't. It's it's hard to know where to where to go from here. I kind of want to go back to my my dojo example. But you're talking about Kyle Adelman. And you're talking about not a fan, and and is there a value there for the Christian community? And um, well, I think originally too, you were mentioning potentially talking about your experiences with Eldridge too. Or well, yeah, yeah. You know, reading reading John Eldridge, and I, I think is there a value in in some of the things he's done? Yes. And I guess the question I would ask myself, the question I'm constantly asking myself with Eldridge, with Eidelman, with Chan, with Platt, with uh, all of these people is, what would their perspective look like if it was not, and I, and I do see this very strongly, you know, to varying degrees, to varying degrees, different ones of these, these people I've mentioned show this in different ways and to different degrees, I think. The truth or the Bible is held up over love and experience. It's a priority. It's at the first, it's, in, it's, it's hierarchically above them and it's fixed there. What would they look like? What would they write? What would they sound like? If See, I'd want to almost truth, tweak, I would almost want to tweak that and say, what would some of their truth of the Bible look like if taken uh, in a different way or taken with the Bible as a whole or taken with a different orientation towards the Bible. Sure. But I don't, I don't think the Bible's enough. The Bible's not enough. We're never told that it is enough. It's sufficient to do its job, which is informing us about certain parts of who God is. If the Bible were enough, there would be no Holy Spirit. 
There simply would not be. What is the job of the Holy Spirit? I mean, God's not stupid. Let's not think God's stupid. Is God going to waste God's time? Is God going to waste God's energy? Is God going to say, or maybe God has limitless energy, so God can do whatever God likes. But I mean, that argument fails because you look around the world around you and you say, oh my God, things are in a pretty par- terrible state. So, so let's, let's not go down that road because that's silly. But the reality is the Holy Spirit's there for a reason. God is not stupid. The Holy Spirit is there because the Bible is not enough. Because the experience of God, the experience of being known, being loved, are things which are come in addition to. We may be, I mean, they be, we are informed about that through our reading of the text, but our reading of the text is not those things. And we've got to get that straight. But I guess what I'm trying, what I'm trying to get at is, even when, I mean, we've gone in depth with Item, and we haven't done that yet with Chan or Platt. But when we went in depth with Eidelman's use of the Bible, it it did not hold water. True. So in other words, I guess what I'm wondering is if if that initial starting point and the initial orientation, an orientation from what I can see of, hey, I just need to take this one verse in the Bible, I need to take a modern English translation, and then just beat the crap out of whatever it says there. So <laughs> take up your cross and follow me. So I'm going to turn, you know, write five chapters on... Uh, everything I can around a cross and do it daily and it's got to hurt because it's a cross and it has to sit. Like, in other words, as I think back on the Not A Fan episodes, particularly the the end of the book, like chapters 9 through like 14, mm-hmm. there's whole chapters built around these verses that as we dug into it, we're just like, there's, there's like, this is a hundred times more complex than you've laid out here. So, if yeah. you're, so I guess what I'm, I'm wondering is, if a person's orientation to the Bible is a, I don't mean it this condescendingly, but like a simple reading, you're just going to take the verse and run with it without doing any homework, any exegesis, any like real deep. Uh, holistic mm. research, mm-hmm. then if you don't even have that, it, it's not going to marry up with the experience part of it either. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that that's really a, a good point, you know, and, and maybe that's a good place to start for people who are much more comfortable with the idea that, you know, everything begins with the Bible and ends with the Bible is to look at the use of the Bible that these people have have made in their books, you know, and I, I'm still stunned. The most honest and polite thing I can say is I would be deeply embarrassed if I had written that book. And I'm not talking about the conclusions that Kyle Adelman's drawn or the way he's, the, the examples he's used. I'm just simply talking about the lack of competent exegesis. The lack, and even saying, listen, you, you can even cheat Here's a cool way of cheating, you know, and it's not really, it, it is cheating, but, but, you know, one of the things that I learned in grad school is uh, I don't have the power in a course on um, Pauline exegesis to write about um, uh, Heideggerian philosophy. The course is on Pauline exegesis. You've got to be on Paul. You can't, you can't just go willy-nilly creating any topic you want. But I do have, within the remit of that topic, the right as an author and Kyle Eidelman has the same type of right to say, I realize, I'm talking about X, and I realize that, that Y and Z are related to X, and a lot of people bring them in. I'm not going to do that. And here's why. 
So he could even cheat and say, you know what, I realize there are a lot of verses in the Bible that contradict my position, and I'm not going to do that. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because I want to be as clear as possible about the subjects I'm writing on without being confusing, and that would be too long. Now, personally, Greg wouldn't buy that. Greg would think, oh, you're cheating. But you know what? The one thing I would say is you've got my respect for at least acknowledging the fact that there are lots of verses out there that are going to contradict what you're putting in here, that you're aware of it, but you're choosing not to deal with it. I'm calling foul, and I think you've written a bad book, but I don't think that you're in hot water when it comes to how you've treated the Bible. I think you've not done the job you should have done, but I'm not going to say that the job you've done is poor. But when I look at that Bible on an exegetical, that, pardon me, that book on an exegetical level, tremendously poor. He's not only done a bad job with the verses he's got, he's completely overlooked the verses that contradict his position. And if he values that Bible as a whole, he's got to take the whole Bible as a whole. And you got to at least tell me you know what's going on there so that I know that you're a competent and reliable and trustworthy person. I should be buying and reading your book. And I get totally torqued about this, totally torqued. Because it's not fair, it's misleading. And there may be lots of people out there who read that bo uh, book and who don't have a sense of what those other verses are. I mean, they jump to my mind right away, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Now try harder and make sure you're sacrificing. <sighs> so it's so, I, I'm just so overwhelmed that somebody who I, I don't know what his background is. He's got, I'm, I'm assuming he's got to be trained. He's got to have gone to seminary. He's got to have gone through some of the courses that I went through, hopefully more, because he's, he did a, an applied track. He did a pastoral track, and I did a research track. I did a, a teaching track, right? But he would have, you know, so he knows what he's doing. I'm just, I just, I have no clue why he didn't do it or why he didn't tell us, hey, just fess up, just fess up at the beginning, put a little prefatory note in there, say, you know, uh, I wanted this book, this book's 200 pages and not 300 pages because blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a follow-up book. Okay, well, I think that's kind of not quite cheating, but a little bit of cheating. F fine, fair enough. We'll wait for your follow-up book. But see, that's why I think it all comes back to orientation. I'm just speculating that for him, the orientation towards the Bible is so inherent in either his background or his training or his experience that mm. that it can't be changed. It It's just... My hunch is that that all the things that you're suggesting would have been helpful if he had done, like that wasn't even the furthest thing from his mind and from right. the publisher's mind. Here's a here's a book that can really shake up the evangelical Christian world, and it's quote biblically biblically based because there's Bible verses in it, and yeah. it sounds like a compelling message that's uncomfortable, which. Usually uncomfortable means it's good and we need to hear it because, mm -hmm. again, the orientation is that we're horrible, lazy people that need to be slapped upside the head once a week or, <laughs> or we'll just go off and, you know, because, again, orientation, we're sinful beings, let you know, left to our own. We're just going to do the wrong thing. We're going to screw and it up. Yeah. We're going to totally screw it up. We can't, you know, that's why we need God. And, and, and so... I'm not saying that that those things don't happen and that there isn't truth in there, but if the if if your main orientation is that I'm a big screw up and that I'm sinful and that left to my own devices I'm going to mess this thing up, mm -hmm. then 
we kind of put ourselves all in that same bucket. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you, you raised an interesting point there with the publisher. And uh, I, I give Kyle a lot of shtick. And he, he is beholden to his publisher. I mean, he, if he writes, you know, I don't know, Jesus is like a, a big head of lettuce. The publisher's going to say, hey, you know what? Sorry, man, I'm not, that, that line is not occurring in the book. You can do whatever you like, but that, the lettuce line goes. And, and so I don't know what, what role the publisher had in this. Um, I, I, find it, I find it, it's too hard to believe that Kyle had written the book that would have essentially kind of done what I'm suggesting, would have uh, kind of investigated the, exegetically would have done a better job with the passages he's using, would have also investigated the passages that are, you know, w- would be contrary to his perspective. I, I don't believe that he wrote that book and the publisher cut it down to this. I don't believe that. But the publisher obviously does have a role, even if the publisher has a role in saying, you know what, I think I can sell this book. Maybe you can sell this book. Should you sell this book? I think I can make a lot of money out of this book. Same question. Should you sell this book? Should you be publishing the book the way it stands? Or should you be going to the author and saying, you know what, we need you to fill this, to flesh this out a little bit more. Your whole use of Luke 9.23 and, you know, follow me, et cetera. And, and what about the contrary positions? Can you, can you put in a little bit? Can you even put in a note about this? You know, it's, it, they are, t- they are a team, the author and the publisher. That's supposed to, that's typically how it should work. And I would, I would hope, and maybe this is very naive of me. I would hope in Christian publishing that that, that, that sense of teamwork would be even more prominent. Again, maybe naive. I'll, I'll leave it there, but. But that's the part that's disturbing to me. So on page. <laughs> are you not a fan? I am on page two. <laughs> I'm, no, I remember reading this, and, and this has just always kind of haunted me. So on 2.13, he's giving the acknowledgments at the end of the book, and he says, to Don Gates and the Zondervan team, thank you for not just being professionals, but committed followers. Cindy Lambert, when you walked into the office with the editing team and I saw that you were carrying my manuscript, I braced myself for reading. Instead, I was moved beyond words when you had all of us get on our knees and dedicate this work to the Lord. It's just wow. like how how does how does that make sense? <laughs> how could how could this gets back to my episode number five and and maybe Anna's question? Everything is just just a just puzzles me. How can something like this have been dedicated to the Lord and it, it not make any sense and not hold water? Great question, John. I had never actually read that part. I didn't. I mean, that's the, what is that? The, what part of the book is that called? Uh, the Acknowledgements. Epilogue, The Acknowledgements. And that's I'm not, I'm, I, I want to be crystal clear. I am not saying for a second that they didn't do this. I'm not saying for a second that they didn't pray. I'm not saying for a second they didn't dedicate it to the Lord. I'm guessing that they believe the Lord has blessed this work because it's so popular and because you can get t-shirts and there's the Facebook fan page and there's just like, it's a movement. I mean, yeah, I mean, I keep, we, we keep hearing about new churches and places that are, you know, are, we're going to walk through, we're, we're working our way through not a fan and, mm-hmm. you know, so my hunch is they look at this and say, oh my gosh, God bless this thing. They dedicated their work to the Lord, and look what the Lord did. Yeah. And I'm looking at saying, yeah, look what this work did. It's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> but how can these two things be true? Mm-hmm. 
we're back to the same place. <laughs> I'm a bro- broken record on this topic. No, that's good. Well, I don't know. I probably read this in a past uh, uh, podcast, but you know, uh, when we were talking with Anna about Eldridge, um, and I think the same thing goes for, yeah, the same thing goes for Kyle Eidelman and not a fan. And I'll just read out this these couple of lines I I I wrote back um, that I'm disturbed by some of the ways that I hear Eldridge and Eidelman presenting God, humanity, and the relationship between the two. And I'm disturbed because to the best of my understanding, study, and experience, these ways are slanted or skewed in a direction that I wager will ultimately make it harder rather than easier to enter into a relationship with God and to maintain such a relationship in a meaningful way such that we are also able rightly to relate to ourselves, to others, and to the world around us. And of course, what I'm focusing on there is this, this, this idea of love and truth. You know, we're so focused on the Bible. We are so focused on truth. And it's not just a focus. It's a hierarchy. You know, we, you and I struggled. We struggled through that whole book with Eidelman. I, I recall the podcast and just feeling absolutely angst when we come across a, a, a rare reference to love and God and just seeing, what? You're doing that with it? Are you kidding me? And, but I want to clarify when you say truth, I feel like you're saying truth equally in the Bible and the pursuit of truth. And I don't, I don't read a book. I, when I think of not a fan, I don't think of pursuing truth at all. I think of pursuing an agenda, an agenda that says, this is what it means to follow God. I have the agenda. I have the formula and I'm not a formula, but I have the agenda that this is what it means to follow God, and I'm going to write a book on it, and I'm going to show you the verses that support my agenda. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like a pursuit of the truth to me. A pursuit of the truth to me is way bigger than that. It's it's we have this whole book that we call the Bible, written over thousands of years. What does it all mean? How does it all go together? What is what do as we take this whole thing as a whole? What do we think is the central message here, and what does it mean to us? Yeah. Well, now you're now you're. Now that's you're really... totally different. That's yeah, pursuing you... the truth to me. This is not yeah. pursuing the like. So I don't know. I'm maybe I'm getting on a hobby horse. No, it's good, and I, and I appreciate you pushing me. And I, mean, and I guess that the whole the whole point of the matter is um, that I think you know, and this this may seem extremely scandalous in some respects. I think Christians are to be, and people are to be, truth seekers. You know, so one of the very helpful things that Augustine mentioned, and, you know, Francis Schaeffer recoined this later in the um, 60s and 70s, but the idea that all truth is God's truth. And as a result, we need not be afraid wherever we find it. And, of course, we're going to find it in a lot of different places. You know, it's it's this idea that I can I can hear truthful things from Buddhist teachings. I can hear truthful things from Hindu, te- Hindu teachings. Um, you know... Um, Augustine talked about it as uh, um, plundering the Egyptians was his his kind of you know when the when the Israelites took the gold and took the uh, the treasures from the Egyptians just before they left um, this th- that was his his sort of metaphor for it um, but yeah I mean I'm referring to truth in the Bible I guess I- I'm trying to focus in on one thing and try to decenter it I'm trying to dislodge it I'm trying to undercut it. I don't want to obliterate it, 
But I guess when I'm talking about truth, really on the one hand, I'm talking about truth seeking, you know? So truth seeking was for me walking out of Christianity. Can I find more truth outside of Christianity than inside of it? Uh, well, I certainly did, given the variety of Christianity that I had and was brought up with, and given some of the experiences that I had. But part of what brought me back into Christianity, part of what made me as a very hostile, but also a very entrenched, I mean, I, I was, uh, I very staunchly believed, I wasn't kind of wishy-washy about my agnosticism. I was at least, <laughs> That's one thing I like about you. You are all in. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I had to, I was forced through a series of, 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 you know, new experiences, new understandings to kind of evaluate my situation and say, as a truth seeker, what is the most truthful way, the most honest and, and accurate way you have of construing what's going on? Well, you know what? At a certain point, seven years into my agnosticism, the most truthful thing to say was God is there. And that God, this God is different than the God I had been brought up to believe in. This God is much richer, much more wonderful, much larger. So this whole idea of truth, on the one hand, I think uh, when I'm talking about truth, I don't think for a moment that, that, that Kyle Eidelman or, um, you know, uh, John Eldridge or anyone else when they're talking about the value of Christianity, when they're talking about the reality of God's existence, when they're talking about the importance of relationship with God, are, are dealing with anything that is untrue. I think that, that what they are talking about there and those particular things that they are focusing on are true and deeply so. They are the, some of the truest things that we can engage with in our lives. So there, there, there's, you know, truths of ultimate importance, if you like. Um, that's kind of where I'm focusing. You know, but as you say, you know, there's a certain agenda, there's a certain way of presenting this. Yeah. Though, you know, if you want to come back to me, I've got my own way of presenting it. And I guess it's down to the individual to weigh that up, right? I'm not saying, listen, I'm right and there's no contest. I'm saying, I think I am right. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to tell you why I think they're wrong. And I'll go to the Bible and I'll go to real life. And I think on both of those fronts, I can show you. And now, if you don't, if you're not convinced, you're not convinced. That's the way things stand. I mean, I'm not, I'm not responsible for you. I'm not responsible to make those decisions. Do I think that God has a, has a role in this podcast? Yes. Do I think God has an interest in me being here? Yes. What exactly is that interest? The best that I can, I can describe it is that I be honest and open that I'd be forthcoming with some of the things that I have seen of God. You know, and I think that that is the basis, if you like, for any ministry, for anyone being in a relationship with God who is, feels called to speak out to others about that relationship on a fairly frequent basis. That's how I would describe ministry. It is speaking out to others from your relationship and understanding with God on a fairly frequent basis. In other words, ministry is something that is a, it's kind of a job, something we do. So, but I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm satisfying you in terms of uh, your point about, you know, 
truth and and, and agendas. Well, it, was, it was no, it was, I think it was more of an observation of. It, I think as you were talking about truth, I realized that your proposition of love and truth, I, I get the love part. Kind of, <laughs> I won't say I fully understand love and all that. Uh, that's a infinite topic, but so I, I'm o- I'm okay with I'm okay enough with that. But I think what was just occurring to me as you were talking about truth was truth seemed to be you were ta- you were talking about how people emphasize truth over love, and I what I was hearing was the Bible is being emphasized over love. The, the the message that people are finding in the Bible, albeit I'm not agreeing with the message that they're finding in the Bible, they're making that message be more important than love. Well, I think I think for Christians, if you ask them about truth, if they're going to go outside of the Bible, they might they might say, "Well, math is true. That math is trivially true, right? It's trivial because we we set the the kind of parameters for it uh, before we we evaluate it. You know, we control both the inputs and the outputs, and so therefore math math is true, but trivially so. But if you ask them what else, if you ask them what else is true, um, my my thought is they they they're probably gonna have to think a little bit about that. You know, they might say it's true that they. Uh, I don't know that a combustion motor will drive a car, but that too is, is not that important. So I guess I guess what I'm what I'm talking about is um, truth of ultimate concern. And when that comes to Christians, that's that's the Bible, that's God existing, uh, etc. But there, but I guess what's occurring to me is yes, but their conclusions about what this truth is, we don't even agree with. So they're overemphasizing, potentially overemphasizing something that's not even true, right? Which is and, even and doubly I, a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, he, in other words, they, they, they might take something and, and like uh, I think. In it's other words, they're so focused on a doctrine, and 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 really ramming home the doctrine. If you want to say doctrine equaling truth, but yet the doctrine is not well formed. It doesn't hold water. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's really And and the doctrine that's being put forth that doesn't hold water doesn't have any reflections of love, which you're advocating is a major aspect of who God is. So it's missing two things. One, it's not sound, and two, it's doesn't contain any love. I, I guess what I'm trying to say by still focusing on that idea as love is that uh, pardon me, am I still focusing on it as truth? Is I, I wouldn't direct them to another text. I wouldn't direct them to uh, a different religion, right? I, I'm I'm happy. No, I I'm not hearing that. I'm say, I'm hearing you say let's still focus on the Bible. Yeah, and I I still want to say that what they're doing is. You see, it's truth-seeking, but I think it's truth-seeking by avoiding a critical critical component, which is, what is the most valuable truth for me? I can tell you right now what the most valuable truth for me is. 
to be deeply loved by someone who knows me truly and whom I love in return. There is no truth greater for me than that. It might be more important that there's air in the room. But you know what? At the end of the day, what satisfies me is being known and being loved and, be, and loving those and knowing those whom I love. It is being in meaningful love relationships. It is belonging, being accepted, being valued. These things are critical. And this is at the core of what it is to be Christian because this is at the core of who God is. When we don't understand this, then we take on all manner of different ways of construing God, wrathful, distant, holy, etc. Does God, is God angry? Can God be angry? Sure. Is God holy? Sure. Is there a distance between us and God? Sure. But we let things that are secondary or tertiary become primary, or we let them at very least supplant those things which are clearly primary. The whole Old Testament can be summed up in this. Love God entirely. Love yourself rightly. Love your neighbor likewise. If that's the core of everything that Jesus was talking to these people about, that is precisely the core of what it is for us. If Jesus were talking, if we were there then, that's what we would have heard. You know, and I I happen to think the gospel writers got him right on this. I happen to think they're accurate. So, uh, yeah, you know, trying to force doctrines, like pushing the doctrine and no love, and is that a problem? Absolutely. I think they're in the right ballpark. I just don't know that they're playing the right game. Or if they are, um, I think there's a couple of people playing in a corner. And a lot of people who are off doing something that doesn't even resemble the game that should be on the field. And I think the big problem, the big thing that we simply do not look at, we talk about church discipline and we talk about disciplining people for sin. Again, it's back to this stupid, yeah, it's this stupid thing that's just misfocused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? The problem, the problem that Israel faced was not sin. The whole Old Testament is not about not sinning. That, that was not the problem. The problem was false religion. The problem wasn't that I did things wrong within the, within the generally the right framework. The problem was I completely jettisoned that framework. We, pardon me, corporately, right? It's about exile. It's about like everything. It, it, the prophets came to say, hey, you know what? You're saying you're doing the right thing. You know, you're not only, you're not only, it's not that you're screwing up and you're screwing up too much. That's not the problem. We've got a system for dealing with that. You go to the priest, you take a few turtle doves, a few, you know, oxen, whatever, you know, and we can talk about, we can talk about the sacrificial system. I mean, in a nutshell, the sacrificial system was incorporated. I think, you know, God takes us where we are. That the sacrifice was just a mainstay of the ancient Near East. You know, is there a problem with, with the absence of sacrifice now? No, not at all. You know, uh, and, and, you know, Jesus as sacrifice, but those are still, those are understandings that people at that time had, and there's no way of understanding the world without them. Are they inherent to God? No, they were inherent to us. God's working with us. But the problem is false religion. And until we can see today in North America, in Christianity, in evangelical Christianity, 
that there is false religion, which is simply, you think you're doing something exactly right, you are doing it wrong and you have no clue. You are blind to that fact. You know, and that's part of what I was doing in my thesis is saying, in some very big name biblical hermeneutics, we are approaching this matter wrongly and we are preparing people wrongly. You know, um, I'm not going to mention them, but I could mention some names. And if people know anything about, about evangelical scholarship, they would go, what? You think that person's got it wrong? Man, you're clearly, you've got a, <laughs> a, you've got a problem or B, you know, you're clearly liberal. No, we don't, when you play the game that way, when that's the way you play, the only thing you're going to get is the view you already have, which is the height of arrogance. You know, I may be wrong. Somebody may think, you know, you're wrong to accuse these three people or to point out that these three people, but you know what you need to do? Engage with what I've written. You know, and I've got, I've got my, my supervisors certainly wouldn't have uh, been going into it, believe that what I was writing about those people was accurate. But, I, but they're not going to give me an A plus if they don't agree with me. If they don't think my argument has substance, if they think it's faulty or flawed, they're going to say, you know what, Greg, um, this doesn't work. Oh, and by the way, you know, you're picking on some really, some heroes of the, of, in evangelical academia. Uh, you know, what, what were you thinking? You know, they're going to, they're going to mark me down and they're going to slap me up the side of the head in a kind of, uh, you know, uh, academic way. And that's not what I experienced. And we need to be able to be in a place where we can believe that there is a, at least the possibility that on some sort of large scale, in the same way that it happened with Israel, we can allow ourselves to be in a position of thinking that we've got it all right, when in fact we are moving in a direction that is really problematic. And if no one is even asking the question, I'm not saying that we have to be looking around the corner for conspiracy theory. I'm not saying that we have to be kind of re going back and kind of, you know, yeah, I'm not looking at my chair suspiciously every time I go to sit down in it. I sit down in it and I have faith in it. But you know what? If there's not a possibility that my chair is going to break, if there's not a possibility that the way that I've laid out my ministries is incorrect, that the way that I've formulated the relationship with, with God and how, how I'm doing that, you know, if, it, if there's no possibility of that, then I think we are, we have obliterated part of a very necessary way of speaking to us that God has instituted, uh, you know, in, in the Old Testament and has in no sense left us today. Uh, because a prophetic perspective is not simply a perspective of, you know, God's going to do this. It's a perspective of, hey, you done this. You know, it's like you and I talking about David and Bathsheba and what, what is Nathan? He's the prophet saying, he's the guy that's, that, that brings the reality check. Nathan is the reality check, right? And how does he get to, how does he get to David? He can't go directly to David. He can't go to say, hey, you know what, Bathsheba, bad move. You know, Uriah dead. That was totally you. He goes through the back door, right? Or the side door or through the, through the open, open window on the upper floor. He paints him a picture. He appeals to the things that David deeply believes in. And when, when David makes the connection, that's exactly what we need. The example of David is not simply an example of somebody who screwed up. It's an example of somebody who heard that he screwed up and made the right choice. That's exactly what we need.
I like what you're saying about being open to questioning and my hope is that people feel free to do that with us. So <laughs> while me or Greg may come across as feeling like we have a fairly rock solid position on something, you know, question it, raise, a, raise, have a conversation, have a dialogue with us. Absolutely. You know, and our churches just don't do this. And I, I wonder too, even if somebody is staunchly disagreeing, if we get into the flow, what I find when we get into the flow of dialogue is people cease becoming, oh, that guy represents that view and she represents this view. Or it's that's like, wrong and that can't be true. Yeah. So yeah, and all we why, can are we see, even ta- why are we even talking about this? But no, it's, it's, there's some, well, it's like our conversations. It, yeah. At least for me, I, I, there, I find that there's just kind of this, I don't know. These little epiphanies and these little ideas kind of come to light as we bat things around and as we talk about things. And sometimes it's in the process of discussing something that you think is like 100% locked down that you realize, ooh, there's a little edge case over here that I hadn't considered. Yeah. Can I lock it down as well? Or have I discovered a flaw in my the whole thing that I've constructed here? Absolutely. And you know what? I would wrap it by saying we are supposed to be truth seekers. And I, that's what I aim to be. You know, if someone if someone points to me and says, you know, I, I don't really like uh, how you've constructed this thing with truth and I would do it more this way. And, you know, and I, I'm, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Let me let me kind of pick up on that. And let me read on that. And I read a little bit further. Um, I, I want to get it right. I'm interested more in getting it right than in holding my position. I hold the position I hold because I believe it is right, not because it's mine. You know, it'd be so much more comfortable. Oh my God, would I love to just say, I can hold so-and-so's position. I think it's great. It doesn't work. (laughs) It's so much easier. (laughs) I can go and have more fun with my family. It is. (laughs) It is. I can go live my life. My life would be so much easier that way. I would love that. I don't find it. You know, I do, I, we do, I do have mentors. I mean, you have mentors. I have mentors. We have people who kind of are expressing the same thing. You know, I'm certainly not alone in, in my perspective. Maybe some of the ways of expressing it are unique, but, you know, it would be so much easier. But we are truth seekers. And, and as that, I really hope that people feel that, um, you know, and I hope we're putting forward that we value the, the fact that, you know, people's perspectives and the fact that those dialogues Sharpen truth. Well put. So bring us feedback. Bring us your insights. Bring us those things where things don't totally add up. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage from a direction of, hey, I've looked at all these different things and I try to put these five things together and I can't end up in the same place that you guys do. And I think these five things really go together versus... Mm-hmm. Uh, so-and-so in their one book on this topic says that this, and so you guys are wrong. That doesn't do so much for me. Now, maybe there's something to consider there, but... Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I guess even where people do take that perspective, I would be interested to know, if you want to come at it that way, tell me why it's important to you. Why, why what they have said is important to you. Oh, versus you guys are just wrong because this guy says you're wrong. Yeah. Like he says, he's, well, obviously if you're willing to discount everything we say on the basis of 
I mean, that would, that would have to be one monstrous book to cover everything we've said. <laughs> I was just thinking so, of a particular topic or point. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, even there, I, I would like to know. So, so what's valuable to you about what that person has said? What does that, what does that do for you? What is that? Um, and what would the, what would, what would be the upshot if, if for some reason, in some way, what we're saying is correct and that what that other person is saying is more questionable? You know, and I, I think that's the other thing too, is we're stuck in this wrong and right. And I do think about certain things I'm right. My perspective is right. But on most things, I think my perspective is better. And I think other perspectives are worse that I've come into contact with. And I'm looking to make better into best. But I can't say... That is so subtle. <laughs> that is so subtle because... Yeah, we need to wrap this one up. But no, it's so <laughs> subtle because it's so easy to fall into the wrong, right... There's nothing to discuss here. Like, why do we need to have exactly. a conversation about something that we already know is wrong? Exactly. Yeah, there's nothing to discuss. And that, that, that just puts us into a position where the only thing, you know, it's not really about Greg. It's just about this idea he has. Well, you, you know, it is about Greg. And it is about uh, who's ever writing in. Yeah, and, and, and it is important if someone is grappling with a topic or, you know, if it's important to them, it's important. Regardless yeah. of whether they're right or wrong on it, if they're wanting to think about it and struggle with it, it's important. You've been listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 37. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available at the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.